This week on Thinking Inside the Box, we sled with pure chaos in Arctic Thunder. Hello, everybody. I'm Excalibur. I'm your co-host, Soft Mike. What game are we reviewing today, sir? We are reviewing Arctic Thunder. Yes. Uh, not a bad game, actually. We definitely enjoyed our time, and we cannot wait to share that with you. Um, Want to go off on some information about the companies? Yeah, we can do that. First of all, I guess Arctic Thunder is the installment in Midway's arcade racing series. It is a fantasy snowmobile racing game that plays like a mix of cruising and kart racer on ice. The main objective of this, uh, the console version of the game versus there was an arcade version is that the console version allows you to upgrade sleds and unlock secret characters or tracks. You earn gold medals in race mode or lots of points to unlock most secrets, and you do this by, as I said, w- winning races. The gameplay involves shooting down enemies with weapons, boosting yourself ahead, and pulling off tricks. Exclusive to the console versions is the Battle Mode, which emphasizes the game's frantic combat. Now, this game was developed by Midway Games Incorporated and published by Midway Home Entertainment. The developer, Midway Games, they're a publisher of interactive entertainment for a wide range of platforms. It is especially known for the Mortal Kombat franchise and is based with a corporate office in Chicago, Illinois. The company had many worldwide divisions and subsidiaries. Its West Coast division, Midway Home Entertainment, operated out of San Diego, California. It was formed in 1988 after Bally uh, MFG Co. was acquired by WMS Industries under the name WMS Games Incorporated, which they quickly changed to Midway Manufacturing. The initial Midway Games had handled the coin-op arcade manufacturing and sales out of its Chicago location, while Midway Home Entertainment developed games for home consoles from its West Coast units. In 1998, it was set free by its owner, WMS Industries, and became its own company, owned by its stockholders. Eventually, their Corsicana site was closed down, and the company chose the San Diego location for its West Coast hub. In 2001, Midway quit coin-op game manufacturing and sold all of the assets to Hap Control Incorporated. On February 12, 2009, the company announced that the company and its U.S. subsidiaries filed voluntary petitions in U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the District of Delaware for reorganization for Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. The filing did not include the company's non-U.S. operations, which then continued business. After closing a number of studios in 2008, on February 12, 2009, the company filed for bankruptcy. In May of that year, Warner Brothers bid $33 million for most of the company's assets, including the Surreal Software and Chicago Development Studio and the Mortal Kombat franchise. No other bids came in on July 1, 2009, and the sale was approved. Following the acquisition, the corporate headquarters in Chicago was closed, as well as the Newcastle and San Diego Development Studio. The final liquidation of all assets and securities was accomplished in June of 2010. On the publisher side, 
Midway Home Entertainment Incorporated, which was known as Williams Entertainment Incorporated. It was a subsidiary of WMS Industries Incorporated. It was formed after the acquisition of TradeWest Incorporated, and in 1996, it took over the home publishing duties of Midway Games and was renamed Midway Home Entertainment. It went out of uh, business in 2009 along with the rest of Midway. So that was all our information on our developer and publishers. Quite the legacy they left behind for sure. Yeah. I liked all that information for sure. It was a lot of impact, I guess. Yeah, they've really had quite a path. They've carved through the process of developing games and growing as a company. I'm pretty fond of Midway because I actually have a lot of fond memories of their racing titles, specifically the arcade ones known as uh, San Francisco Rush and also the Cruisin' series, which they referenced as being something that this game was kind of likened to, but of course in the Arctic Thunder uh, realm of tundra and snow. It was kind of cool. And I think in our in our review and play, I, I did say that this game felt and sounded a lot like Cruisin' Exotica, which was one game that was probably just before this game for the Nintendo 64. So it was kind of neat to play this game. I was kind of familiar with some of the audio. Now, Excalibur, would you like to tell us anything about Summer? Yeah, the game is Arctic Thunder, obviously made by Midway Games. It features single-player, multiplayer, and 480p. It is rated T for mild violence. It is a driving, racing, futuristic title. Uh, it was released on November fifteenth, two 2001 on PlayStation 2 and Xbox. I would like to add, there was a Dreamcast release um, slated to happen, but it was canceled based on the sagging sales of the Dreamcast, sadly. Now for the overview. Ready for the ultimate battle on snow? You get proximity missiles, atomic snowballs, and snow bombs to use against your opponents as you battle your way to the finish line. If those don't do the trick, You've always got your fists for those up-close and personal encounters. Choose one of 19 different characters in sleds, each one giving you different capabilities to prepare you to wage battle on one of the 12 outlandish tracks, from the Swiss Alps to Atlantis. Master your snowmobile and perform your way through any of 62 different tricks, or lure your friends into one of the special battle arenas for a duel. I think now is our time to get into our first segment. Time for the X-Ray, where we dive into the main features in-depth gameplay. As far as the game goes, you get nine different power-ups, one being a super boost, which gives you kind of like a a nitrous ability. Um, And if you collect three in a row, you do a wheelie and leave a flame trail behind you. Then you have health which restores your health, obviously. A grappling hook, which is actually pretty cool. When you upgrade your rider, you can upgrade this ability. Uh, Depending on which rider you have, they have different abilities that can upgrade more than others. And the grappling hook's chain can become (laughs) immensely long. It is always an instant kill when it is used on another opponent. Uh, You also have the invisibility, which I didn't see doing too much for me, but... 
they kept you to a certain amount of opaqueness, I guess I would say, to keep your centering and know where you are. But essentially to anybody else on the field, you actually were invisible, just leaving behind your trail that you were going you know, down the mountain with in the snow, it would still show that, but there would be no actual model, which was kind of funny to see sometimes when the other opponents were invisible. Uh, next, you have the Atomic Snowball. With that ability upgraded all the way on a driver, that one was ridiculous. If you gathered up quite a few of them and launched them at your foes, they did a much better job than the proximity missiles. It, nothing could stand in your way. I, I think it took maybe one of those with the ability up, completely upgraded, and it was an instant kill every time. It was extremely accurate, and it left a blast wave mm -hmm. that was uh, <laughs> very detrimental to anybody who ran into that blast wave. <laughs> yeah. That... <laughs> you could easily knock off two riders if you hit just right. Next would be the proximity missiles. They are similar to the Atomic Snowball in appearance, so it's it's hard to differentiate the two from each other when you're driving. But as you play the game, you'll be able to tell the difference because the symbols are almost exactly identical, except for one has a darker set of colors in the stripe pattern than the other. Uh, the Rooster Tail, I didn't see doing much. It's a defensive weapon that will create a temporary blinding spray of snow behind your sled. Trying to get caught behind a sled that has this weapon activated. That's what the manual says. I did notice that it was extremely blinding. It was almost like looking at an avalanche coming toward you when you were going into it or stuck in it behind someone that had activated one. The only effect that it really had that was useful would probably be against other people. I don't think it affected the um, actual drones, as they called them in the game as much as it would affect another person playing with you. So it was kind of a useless power-up that I would steer away from playing without other people. Uh, and then you had the shield. The shield was great. It was a lifesaver, especially if you were trying to complete a level and you had tried multiple times. Um, there seems to be points where the the AI and the gamer drones love to shower you with bombs and missiles, and it becomes it becomes pretty evident that Unless you are lucky enough to grab the shield and maintain it through those portions of races, you're not going to make it through without getting knocked off your sled. So that's a one, that one is pretty handy. The snow bomb is the next one, and it's pretty comical. Um, you get three, I believe, when you pick up the actual power-up, and you lay down these gigantic discs that just appear out of nowhere halfway through your sled. Anybody who runs over them, it's an instant kill. The last power-up of all is the super attack. This attack right here is probably my favorite, but it's kind of rare, and it's kind of tucked away. You have to use certain shortcuts in order to obtain it, and it's kind of one that you have to steer toward. You, you really got to know what you're doing, per se, to, to snag this power-up and use it, but when you use it, oh boy, there, were, there will be bodies and sleds flying. As soon as you use it, nothing stands in your way. It's actually hilarious. All right, so for our tracks in the game, we have a full. We have twelve total tracks, and when you begin the game, you only have access to six. Those are the Lost Himalayan City, Chernobyl Meltdown. You gotta say it like the announcer says it. Lost uh, yeah. Himalayan City. <laughs> yeah, Chernobyl Meltdown. <laughs> Blizzard and DC. 
Swiss Alps, Haunted Forest, and Alaskan Pipeline. Yeah, some some <laughs> very generic uh, names for tracks, but overall the, the commentation, or the way that they're announced, I should say, is hilarious. Yeah, kind of reminiscent of uh, what do we say? E forty, yeah, something E forty, <laughs> saying it like, "Ooh, a lost simulated city." Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, we have unlockable tracks, which you have to uh, pick, you actually have to use points you earn from the points mode, and they were expensive. To- yeah, it's seventy five thousand points to unlock a track. Let's get let's give people like an idea of how expensive the tracks are because you know you can say seventy five thousand points, but it, there's no real scale of how much that actually is compared to yeah. the game currency that you earn per like level that you play, and you can only unlock things or earn points by racing in points mode. Yeah, and you on average every time you played a race we're making about 10,000 points a race. That was really a good run, honestly. Um I would say you you're more than likely playing legitimately would get between 8 and 10,000 and if you weren't playing legitimately, you'd probably earn I think the most we ever earned and we were playing with trainers uh at the 15. time to, Fifteen five, I think, was maybe the best we ever did, and that was only a couple of times. Our average still was between twelve and fourteen thousand at best. Yeah, so it was not really an optimal point system. No. I mean, it takes it takes at least seven, eight tries before your you know uh, totals like runs on a track. Yes. In order and- to earn the points. Right, and to earn the amount of points needed to unlock one track, you need to have, at the minimum, seven or eight very good runs. Uh, and it's just not going to happen every time. Yeah. But anyway, uh, there, there's your reference for a scale of how expensive these tracks actually are in terms of how much you're rewarded or compensated per race. Yeah. So we have a lot. The unlockable tracks are Winter Sports Park, Logging Run, UFO Encounter, The Great Wall of China, Atlantis, and Thrill Chill Fun Park. And remember, Logging Run had that very cool thing that we found in the thumbnail for the track. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Oh, yeah. So, with those tracks, uh, they're also rated on difficulty by the developer, and all the unlockable tracks level difficulty. Whereas all the starting tracks, it's set up in the first two are you have Lost Himalayan City and Chernobyl Meltdown is easy, Blizzard in DC and Swiss Alps is medium, and then Haunted Forest and Alaskan Pipeline as hard difficulty. So that's just a it's just a threshold for how the AI performs in the track. So that's really what that means for the difficulty. Uh, so. With that, uh, I guess it would be a good idea to move into our characters okay. that we have in the game. Uh, we have There's quite the extensive list of characters. I think, what is there, 20? 19. 19 characters. 19, 19 total characters. Once again, you start off with six off the bat unlocked. Yeah. 
and uh, they have some. They all have their own unique kind of sort of. Uh, I'd say, what would you? How would you word that? They're sort of making fun of the characters in a way, or like the lifestyle of that person. Yeah, uh, yeah cliche uh, almost. It, it's very cliche. It's very. It's very um, early two thousands, late nineties esque in its its cliche and stereotypical. Um, renditions of characters, uh, whereas you have the first unlock of a first character that's unlocked from the get go that you come across as Dirty McCurdy, who's just like a scruffy, dirty, crusty biker dude, and his uh, sled is also themed accordingly. His sled looks kind of like a chopper, called an ice hog. Yes, even down to the name of the actual sled itself, it is it the theme carries through. Yeah, and all the sleds even uh they each individual racer own personal sled, which is also not definitive to actually using their sled. You can actually use anybody's uh sled during the race. You don't have to use that specific person, which is a really cool feature. It actually was kind of hidden out of the way. So uh, with Yeah, dirt- that that was actually found by accident. In multiplayer, um, me and uh, my missus decided to test multiplayer together um, while we were playing through this game. And she accidentally pressed uh, the white or black button, and that uncovered the ability to select a sled to go with a character that wasn't originally that character's sled. Yes. So it's a really, it really actually opens up the total customization of the game. Because each character has their own ability suites, and then you have the sleds, which have the uh, the acceleration, the top speed, and handling perks, which allow you to better perform on the track. Mm-hmm. Now, each of these individual characters and sleds, they sort of have caps on wh- how far you can go with them, so you you can upgrade them through points mode, and as you upgrade them, they can only get up to a certain point, which has been defined by the developer, and as you unlock different characters throughout the gameplay, you'll start noticing as you advance the character roster, you'll get more maxed level type characters, which have multiple bars of the ability list max outable. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um we we did put on a trainer that allowed us to max out stats without deduction of points. And it was it was cool to see the reference for how much certain characters could actually uh max out stats. And it got to the point to where when we unlocked more characters, because we did play extensively together in points mode to see what characters we could unlock, we kind of went for unlocking specific things between ourselves because we were able to rack up a bunch of points um, individually. You went for tracks, and I went for unlockable characters to see what the difference was or how far the rabbit hole went with how many different stats actually became completely unlockable or maxable. And um, it was pretty surprising seeing that, what was it, after the first character, about four unlockable characters in, I think it was, or five, 
you had upwards of four stats that were completely maxable, and with the starting characters, you didn't really have that many stats that were maxable. You had maybe one stat. With the no, actually not I even. Think. No, you would have uh, all the starting characters have sort of a generic roster of abilities where they get one that has sort of a better threshold than the rest, but nothing, it's not max outable. Okay. Uh, it isn't until you start. The Jamaican dude might have had one that was maxable, I thought, but that was about it. It's close. I think he has the uh, missile ability, but I think that one only goes up to like 80%, I'm going to say, on that bar. Okay. Uh, and then the other avatars, I think when the first one you unlock is Coco Z. Yes. And I think she has the first one that is completely maxed out, where you can just, you, you know, upgrade that ability and that's done. And then as you unlock the next couple characters, they have one ability similar to hers that is maxed. And then you get into the the next like trio of characters who have then two abilities, and then you have three abilities, so forth. Right, right. Um, what are the other names of our avatars here? We have Mai Zhao Lin, <laughs> which is a martial arts master gymnast and an Olympic gold medalist, with her sled called the J Dragon. The default character is Agent Five. Known as a government agent, his is his sled's called the Gadget. He's also featured in the FMV and in the cover art for the game. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, talk about that a little bit. When you first start up the game, yeah, when you first start up the game, you're greeted to an FMV, um, which is extremely grainy and uh, low res. Missable, missable too. It was, it was. Uh, it was very hard to really make out the details in it until you got up close to something and the camera stopped moving. But um, it started off very like Mission Impossible-esque, uh, where he was standing on the peak of a mountaintop next to a snowmobile, dressed in full gear, looking at some kind of futuristic tablet that was basically giving him mission objectives. Uh, it didn't, didn't necessarily say your mission should you choose to accept or anything like that, but it, it was like a, a spy's uh, directive orders being played to him uh, over his little tablet before he got onto his snowmobile and took off to complete his mission. It definitely gave you a rundown of the game um, and did a really good job of it. It was almost like an ad inside of the game, uh, more than you know anything that was, I guess worthy of substance for digesting to know much about the game. It just kind of gave you a rundown of what uh, kind of power-ups were in the game, and there were unlockable characters and you know, the unlockable maps. I, I believe it was just more like they threw up statistics at you, or not statistics, but they threw up numbers at you rather than going into explicit detail. But overall, it was still kind of neat to see that they put as much effort as they did into that scene and make it seem like there was like a story to the game, even though there is not. Uh, it was kind of kind of like hyping you up and getting you into the zone, I guess, to start the game, which I still I still appreciated and enjoyed it, especially at the end where there was that dude that was screaming uh, in that comical kind of scream fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it was an interesting little fact about Agent 5. Agent 5 seems to have like a special place in this game, notating that he was in the cover art, he was in the FMV, and uh, also the first character that you open up the character select screen to. Uh, Going along with um, how the snowman, Mr. Flaky, seems like almost a mascot for this series, in a way, uh, as you see him in the opening of the FMV, and he's also a lockable character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a cool look at the characters, understanding more about the story. Of so, you know that other than we have those first three uh, characters, we also have Willie Quinn, Ponzo, and Candy Ice. Yes, uh, you want to note how your play experience with Candy Ice is? Yeah, so <laughs> Candy Ice is a hot young mechanic, and she has a boost ability, which uh, actually helped out quite a bit. You can almost almost beat the game with her alone up until yeah. you get to the later races. But uh, Where did you have trouble out. and have to switch off of her at? Was it? Uh, was yeah, it I Atlantis think it was the Logging Wall of China. Actually, you might be right. I think it was UFO Encounter because you know, uh, yeah, okay. I remember like I was trying my best, and there was there was just like nothing you, you could do to win as Candy Ice. So I had to get a I had to unlock an avatar, and of course the first one you, you don't have the option to choose who you're unlocking. So Coco Z actually was the best player. Cause you actually could minimally beat the game with her alone. Yeah. Coco Z was who I completed the game with also. Um, I believe you did as well, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Coco Z maxed out completely, um, was a powerhouse. And we would we need to notate that we uh, you played Candy Ice completely maxed out, and you were not able to go beyond um, UFO Encounter it was, right? Even yep. with maxed out stats. So Coco Z is actually pretty strong, um, a pretty strong character. Yeah, you had to... Well, actually, no, I think I had to unlock two characters now, I think about it. Because uh, you have Coco Z, and then you had... One more, I think, and then you had Shadow. Unless Shadow was... Shadow was the ninja that came after Coco Z and before Sergeant Thud, who had okay, the funniest well, lines in the game, I think. Yeah, yeah. We we never even mentioned how <laughs> that each of these characters have, like, two lines, they say, they, that are yeah. a possibility when you select their character. That and when they have, like, a taunt in-game when they knock another rider off their sled, which is hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. the Jamaican dude, especially <laughs> when we were running down the mountain with our trainers and we both had the Jamaican guy, he would scream <laughs> when he see, uh, <laughs> wouldn't want to be, uh, <laughs> yeah, see, uh, wouldn't want to be, uh, as he's going down and knocking sledders off their ride. And we would just be doing it so crazy because both of us would grab the atomic snowball and we had unlimited snowball since we were using the trainers on our, uh, our modded hardware. <laughs> and we were just nonstop. It was, 
we, I think we pressed the buttons per race <laughs> probably a couple hundred times. We It was nonstop from the time that we got the power-ups to the finish line that we were letting out as many missile attacks as we could. And uh, it was just... We we got to the point of where I think we both cried laughing while playing multiplayer with the trainers on. It was it was incredibly funny. Yeah, it was definitely a fun a fun experience yes. playing the game uh in multiplayer for sure. So, yeah, we have it is an, an extensive list of characters. It would take a long time for any player that starts this title up probably to unlock every character yeah. and upgrade them all because it would take oh no 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 thousands thousands of thousands like hundreds of thousands yes. of points hundreds millions of points of i say per character yeah. hundreds of thousands yeah um, 19 characters plus 75,000 points per track well plus 50,000 or 30,000 per arena even though there weren't that many arenas and Honestly, the battle mode is not worth your time unless you probably have four people. It is yeah. boring. Yeah. And Mr. Flaky doesn't really even count as a upgradable character. No, because, that's right. So technically you only have 18 characters 18, you can 18, yes. max out. And, you know, you think about it, it becomes more expensive as you go because the more characters you unlock, the more maxable abilities you have, thus being more expensive to max out. Yes. So, really, the game becomes more grindy as you go, instead of the average way it works where it becomes less grindy. But either way, if you can, you know, manage your points smart and only unlock the character... Well, you can't only unlock the character. What am I saying? Uh, you know, another thing about the unlocking of things is it went in a one-at-a-time in an order that's specific. And... You know, you, you wanted to unlock a certain character, too bad. You had to unlock them in order. There was no way to select and specifically unlock a certain character like it should have been uh, possible to do, but that's how they set it up. Yeah, and each character, every time you purchase it, it's 35,000 credits. Yes, which is kind of expensive, but not too bad. When you think about it, you really, if you had four, let's say five minimum good runs you're unlocking a character so really every track is what about what would you say about a minute and a half two minutes long because every single track is a point a to point b race there are no yeah. laps which i actually the, like. when i looked into the game files <laughs> i looked oh. at all the uh fun stuff and uh looked at their time records and all that you actually see the longest length of time, I think, for any track was about uh, minute 48, minute 50. It sounds about for right. Most tracks, most tracks, as you get further down, it actually gets uh, a shorter time, but it's just more difficult to complete because of obstacles in the course and then the AI itself. Or drones, I should say, but... Uh, yeah, about anywhere from a minute to two minute, uh, depending on the track. Right. Um, track track difficulty did vary. I didn't really notice too much of a difference in track difficulty, other than sharp turns and abundance of shortcuts. And uh, there was a there was an obstacle here or there. You know, like in the Swiss Alps, if you were going fast enough off of the biggest, I think probably about the biggest jump in the game. 
aside from would you say maybe logging runs jump and Atlantis's maelstrom jump uh, would probably be the biggest jumps in the game. Yeah, definitely one of the biggest jump for sure. Even the the Swiss Alps jump where you have to where you're essentially falling. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, you start falling in that one, and you can't see the bottom. It's almost like well, you jump off of it, and you don't see the bottom. You could take a second to look at your watch, and then back to your controller, and you're still falling. Mm-hmm. That had a huge drop in it. Uh, you remember when we were going so fast uh, that um, those like uh, those cable cars that were yeah, going over you, you I clipped into, into them. them. Yes, you clipped yeah. into them. Yeah, I didn't think it was possible. I thought we were just going to kind of like, you know, go right through it. But apparently it actually had like collision. Yeah. Another thing, going back to the characters and their lines, uh, <laughs> I, I could not stop laughing when I unlocked Monkey Jones. He would he would knock someone off and he'd go, you have the right to lose. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest thing. Um, yeah, I'm sure very- a lot of the other characters had some pretty... Uh, zingy uh, lines that they also spouted out when they knocked another racer off, but we did not get that far. I think uh, as far as we got with unlocking riders, we got down to Sergeant Thud. Was it Sergeant? Was it Sergeant Thud? Pretty sure, because you unlocked two. And then you unlocked Sergeant Thud, and then you unlocked the uh, one oh, lady with the tattoo. Indigo. Smoke yeah, Jones, I think Sergeant Thud. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Sergeant Thud was pretty comical. Um, <laughs> when you selected him, he would yell, For the core! And get on his snowmobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's <he laughs> funny as heck. And his, his sled's name's Full Metal. Yeah, yeah. His sled <laughs> was just made out of plate steel with rivets around the edges. It was pretty comically um, themed as well. Almost like it was a, a ripoff of Full Metal Jacket. Uh, I think that's that's got to be what it is. It's it Full Metal been. Yeah. Which also, I guess it's a round, uh, a type of round in the, in firearms, so. True, but I'm sure that's what they were going for, was just like a, a you know, a, a hardened military-themed uh, boot camp uh, drill sergeant kind of like-esque theme yep. with the whole, the whole deal. And they, they pulled it off pretty well with all the themes. The cop was obviously on a a sled that looked like a police motorcycle, and obviously the cop was fat. Uh, typically, that's how cops are rendered and tend to look. But uh, overall, themes were carried out pretty well uh, over characters. I can't say that they were carried out in a tasteful way. They were just carried out, executed uh, well toward, I guess, how you would theme something based on stereotype. Yep. Stereotypical is what I would say is a very good way to a good way to describe it. Yes. So our main menu. So once you get into the game, after you see the FMV cutscene of what the game sort of is about, you then get into the start menu, which is a picture of Agent Five, and you have two options: you can hit start or, well, press start, I should say, not the actual button but the uh, option on the menu, or you can go to the options menu, which the options menu has three selectable choices within, which allow you to go into the game options, which has a selectable difficulty mode, 
which is so far the first we've seen uh, being done in a game, which you have easy, normal, and hard, which significantly <laughs> rank the difficulty up for anybody playing the game. You have the battle type, which which we'll get into the arena section, which allows you to change the requirements for battle mode, whether or not you want a timed run or a points run. And then you have a split screen, uh, switchable, uh, either to a vertical uh, type split screen or a horizontal split screen. We then have a, in the system options, you have the sound options, the memory unit or save options, and the controller settings. In the sound settings, it's pretty simple. You just have your sound effects, your music, and your uh, main volume, which you can also choose to change it to stereo or mono auto audio. In the memory unit, you have the option to change auto-saving or selecting where your saves come from, either an Xbox or a memory card. And then you have a load and save option. In the controller settings, you have the ability to change vibration settings, as well as set up controls for each of the controls. If you can have up to four players play the game. The controls are as follows. Your left trigger is a quick turn. A right trigger is firing your weapon. Your select button is a view changing mode for your camera. The white button is your HUD toggle. The black button is your target toggle. So it puts a target reticule on the screen. allows you to tell you where exactly aiming at in, in the game. The B button is a weapon, which I wish I would have known that now. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I remember we were trying to figure out what the, what button that would be. Apparently it's the B button. It seemed like it automatically changed weapons when you Whenever acquired you one a up. more powerful one or required another one. Yeah. And the X is your throttle, and the A is a trick. Or no, no, A is throttle, X is trick. Yes. So, And I did notice that the left thumbstick did seem to also help with the acceleration. Like, if you pushed it forward, it would it would also increase your throttle as well. So, yeah, it's definitely a uh, uh, pretty interesting control setup. And then, uh, other than that, you also had a, uh, in, like, a bonus section, which allowed you to look at the Midway credits and Inland Productions credits, who is known as the porter of, the, of this game from the arcade version. Backing out into the start menu, once you hit the start option on the main menu, it takes you into a screen where it then gives you a six-feature-selectable menu screen, which allows you to do race mode, points mode, battle mode, then you have the training mode, arcade mode, upgrade. Race mode allowed you to uh, place... You, you have to get first place to earn gold medals as you unlock tracks through points mode through the upgrades uh, menu. Points mode is where you go to uh, earn the points to uh, upgrade your characters and buy tracks and uh, buy additional characters or battle arenas. You had training mode, which allowed you to play the race mode tracks, but without any opponents. 
So it was just more or less the way to go about finding the best path to play on a track. The coin ops mode is your typical time attack style mode where you played against a timer and your best, you had to play and try to get the best time on the scoreboard. And then you have upgrade mode is where you go to uh, do all that for your upgrades. And battle mode is a multiplayer option only style mode, which can only be activated if it detects more than one controller in the system. And then you play against local co-op. Anybody that wants to play, you'll be, I think there's six total arenas. If you'd like to go, there's five. There's five total arenas. If you'd like to go ahead and tell us about those, what they're called, and uh, we played them all, so we know. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, they're they're a letdown. They are probably about the worst thing about this game. Um, once again, if you have four players, they're probably much more fun. Only two people, definitely a waste of time. Uh, and three people, probably, probably a teetering on not fun. Slash could potentially be fun. Uh, so I, w- I would suggest that playing the battle arena area of this game would best be served with four people. But anyway, the, tr- the, the battle arenas are as follows. The first one is Storm Hazard. Uh, probably about the worst name you could think of for a arena. I, w- I could be much more creative than that. But <laughs> that's what we are with. Next we have, I can, uh, we got Pirate's Cave. Those were the first two that were unlocked from the beginning. Um, something kind of neat about Pirate's Cave, the mini-map is actually shaped like a skull from the top-down view. Although you wouldn't be able to tell by racing on the track, it is shaped so. So it is, it is themed. There is like a, a, a ship section that's kind of like run into the ice and frozen into the ice kind of part that had giant like diamonds and um uh, the the half section of a hull of a ship exposed in it which was kind of neat but i mean otherwise it was really lackluster like the rest of the tracks um you had outpost as the first unlockable track for 30,000 points it was very wide open and really offered nothing memorable as far as the game's playability um this track was really just it seemed like a waste. Steep Space, mm-hmm. Deep Space is my personal favorite from all of the arenas. It was kind of neat to see the 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 Earth or the Moon or whatever it was in the background with the space station going by. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. The space station looks like a space station from a movie. I just can't remember what movie it's possibly from, but it looks it looks like something straight out of a movie that I've seen. Um, and then lastly, we have Ancient Battleground, which once again was just another track that was kind of just generic and a waste of time. It did have a cool little uh, tunnel area in one side of it, but that was about all that it offered. And uh, there is all of your battle arenas. All right. Well, I think it's time to move this on to our next segment. Get ready for X Marks the Spot. <laughs> Comprehensive look at game secrets and Easter eggs. Okay, so you want to start us off with um, the unlockable cheats? Yeah. So for Arctic Thunder, 
we have a variable list of cheats. And you unlock these cheats. Actually, they tell you the cheat codes. So normal difficulty is what you have to complete the game on or higher in order to unlock the cheats. The cheats that you unlock are done through beating each race track on, in first place. When you complete the uh, the race, it tells you the cheat code at a uh, on a screen and tells you what the cheat does. Now, some of these are a little here, but here's a list of all the cheats. We have the invisibility cheat, the super boost wheelie cheat, droneless cheat, expert mode cheat, random mode cheat, the atomic snowball cheat, the grappling hook and randomizer cheat, the rooster tail cheat, snow bomb cheat, boost mode cheat, missile mode, the no power-ups cheat, and the clone cheat. All kind of unique cheats. Uh, I think they were only unlockable when you used race mode, right? Well, you can actually use them in all modes except points mode. Yeah, yeah. I meant they were only unlockable um, through race mode. If you got the gold medal in race mode, you unlocked the cheat at the same time. But no other, uh, no other option gave you the ability to earn the gold medal and unlock a cheat except for race mode. Correct. Yep. Okay. So uh, those cheats yeah. were kind of fun in points mode, I guess. Uh, not not too useful. Which I mean, once again, it's just like our last episode, of Shrek, where if you unlocked a cheat and used it, you were, you were first rewarded with the cheat for completing a task that was kind of difficult because the AI in this game is pretty tough to beat because they're so heavily scripted to catch up and win. It's not necessarily an AI that's good. It's an AI that's just scripted. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into that just a tiny bit to explain, but, um, yeah, the the feat of unlocking a gold medal and an a cheat is kind of difficult, and you're rewarded with the cheat. But if you try to use the cheat, you are <laughs> punished for it. So it's kind of, I guess, just um, a fun way to manipulate the game if you want to think about it that way, but not necessarily a way to get ahead. And I, I do understand that. But I wish there was like a better place for cheats to be implemented in games of this generation. Because it just seems like, oh, you got cheats, but you're going to get punished for having them activated. Sorry. Yep. So, yeah, there's that for the cheats, at least, that are unlockable. And another one that was kind of comical was uh, when you complete a track and you get to enter your initials, which in common midway fashion you use three letters to put down your initials for your top time or whatever at the end of a race if you entered the initials m o o you would spell moo and as soon as you hit yes or a there would be about five different cows mooing in the audio which was pretty hilarious uh, I, I used it to the point that I probably wore it out. I, yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> I remember. I probably it was, used it, it was pretty time. much yeah, a lot. <laughs> After I found it, it was hilarious. Um, 
so yeah, there, that was another kind of odd, just out of nowhere Easter egg that we found thanks to a little bit of research that we did on um, hidden things. We actually looked up the cheat codes for the game and ended up finding that there was also that put into like a hidden Easter eggs uh, section of a website page. I believe it was GameSpot actually that showed the the hidden um, things or Easter eggs kind of area and we wanted to test it out when we saw it because we thought it would be funny and lo and behold you get greeted to cows mooing as soon as you put that in. Uh, another thing that we found actually me and my missus we were playing uh, the game together and we decided to play tracks and this is something that I don't think has ever been maybe seen by anybody or ever covered um, as far as a hidden message in this game actually which was pretty cool that we found um, as we were playing we went to play the track logging run and hidden in the thumbnail or image that depicts the level we found on a log the log that the piece of equipment is holding in the still image a hidden message that was very hard to decipher but once we were able to figure out what it said it read put the past behind you and we thought it was like a really cool thing to have uh, been able to spot you got anything on that one yeah like it was uh obviously at the time when this game came out i mean no one had hd television or that 4k you know that's stuff that never even was thought of uh, right. 480p you know display. You're gonna see that image. It's gonna just look like the texture of a log, and there was it, it was even hard to tell it was there on an yeah. HD television, let alone you know seeing it probably on a small big big mama mama jamma type TV. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a really cool thing. Uh, it, when he, when you had told me what the actual message was, because I could not figure, it out, <laughs> uh, I then saw, and then then I could actually read it. And I, right. Wow, I wonder why that is. You know, what, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, there's there got to be a cool little art story behind that, and uh, hopefully we could, uh, someone could reach out or something and let us know if they ever hear or listen to us talk about it that they had uh their input on kind of the background yeah yeah definitely um we we did search the uh the credits for um maybe some names that we could use and potential people that we could contact with a question of how that made it into the game and we have yet to hear a response um from anybody who had anything to do with the games themselves, but we would love to know, you know, what the, what the purpose of that being even hidden in the actual image has to do with anything or why that is there. It was, it was really cool to have found that. And the night that we did find it, uh, I, I just noticed something was off. It looked like there was something there. The texture was just a little, it was a little too, soft in that spot i guess it looked more like it was flattened out and it looked like it was a place where something was purposefully placed and 
when I started looking into it, I started making out letters. And the letters are extremely illegible um, as far as the quality of the image and then the actual writing style that they are on the log. But um, I was all up on my screen. I was looking at it at different angles, trying to get the light just right. And I even used my phone flashlight a little bit. It was it was very difficult to decipher it at first. It probably took us it took, it took us about ten minutes to figure out what the message said. Uh, uh, my missus actually once again she ended up getting out her reading glasses and really started studying the the writing on it and was able to figure out the rest of it. We were able to put together the whole sentence and we just thought that was really cool and uh, just kind of a, a positive message hidden subliminally in the background of a track thumbnail. And really, I think it's the only subliminal subliminal message hidden in the foreground or background, I should say, of, a, of an image in the game that we have been able to see just yet. Uh, but either way, a very cool find. Also, there's snowmen scattered throughout each track that are from start to the finish and if you hit every snowman as you go down in points mode you do get 500 points per snowman that you hit but not only do you get the bonus per snowman if you hit every snowman as you go down the track and don't miss a single one you get a 15,000 point bonus essentially making it worth sacrificing first place to then grab every snowman as you go down the course uh, thus also making it much faster to unlock the things that you want to see in the game, like characters and, and other tracks and the arenas. Or upgrade your rider or your sled. And that mm -hmm. is what we have. All right, so now for our next segment. Oh my God, he on X Games mode. Are you ready? Here is the X Games Mode, our personal tales of triumph, adrenaline-pumping gameplay, and sweat-inducing rampages. Alright, let's start us off with uh, Soft Mike. What you got for X Games Mode? Alright, so for Arctic Thunder, this entire game is <laughs> X Games Mode, I it should say. It literally is. Uh, anytime you're playing this, this game really gets your adrenaline going. It is a fantastic arcade title for this game. I'll say it's got that momentum that when you're trying to get first place, you, it's got you coming off your seat. You got, you're standing up trying to make it to the finish line before one of the drones gets to the there so it's uh it's quite quite the 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 type of gameplay where no matter what track you're i found myself constantly having a lot of fun adrenaline pumping moments even in multiplayer it's it's all it's just tons of fun there's so much there's just so much uh that that chaos. fueling, yeah, that fueling chaos in the in the mission or on the track that you're going through. Oh yeah, it gets you, it gets you very hyped up. And I, I could say at any point in time, uh, one particular is 
probably, I think, even a Chernobyl melt. Where you take a jump off this uh, ramp on this hill, and you, as you're coming down, a submarine is blasting through the ice. Yeah, that was probably one of the coolest things in this entire game. Yeah, um, like the the way that the tracks were designed. Yeah. That that submarine, it was it did not get old. You were 100 percent right about how cool that was. Mm-hmm. And it's like the game had such a great way of triggering things happening as you went on, and it was always sort of a a cool. There was always some type of cool aspect to it. Each each level had their own theme and way of pushing you to go into different directions. And there are so many hidden elements to the game that no, no one direction, one, one way on the track really was the best way. It really just, you had, there were even paths we hadn't even discovered. Yeah. And when you found that path, you really wanted Next time I play, I try to find it and go through it, see what if it's like, you know. And I think any time you're you're playing this game, it's just you have a you have the tendency to keep wanting to play. So, uh yeah, for me, it, this whole game was a thrill. It's a thrill. It truly is, and it definitely didn't initially have that effect. I thought going into this, it would be kind of mediocre and underplayed, but this game really pushed me to uh, not even at frustrating ways. Even if I lost, I took pride in the fact that it was the f- I had the journey of going through all the fun I'd gone through motivated me to keep playing the game. So well done. How about yeah. you, Excalibur? A hundred percent agreed on that, man. The entire game is X Games mode. They they definitely did a great job with uh, the tricks and the scripted events that trigger as you go through each track. The oh yeah, we didn't even talked about how when you went off trick sections, it actually laid out a new set of uh, power ups. Yeah, yeah, we did forget to mention that. It kind of added another element to the game, and it, I'd say it fits in X Games mode too because. When you went off of ramps, you would perform different tricks. I did not get the gist of how the tricks actually worked. If you had to have the thumbstick in a certain direction, or if uh, you if you hit ramps ramps consistently as you went down the course, that would trigger a next level um, stunt or trick. Because there were levels to tricks, and I think it topped out at level three. But they they were kind of interesting, but they were just so quick that you didn't really get a chance to take in the moment that they did the trick. Um, or it was just so fast-paced that it was it was just done and over before you had a chance to realize, you know, that you did a trick. It, and you were so focused at the same time uh, because of how fast-paced that the game was that you just kind of didn't notice it happened also. So the tricks really weren't too much of a big deal, but they did add power-ups, which was also a strategic element to winning a race uh the the tricks would trigger a set of power-ups that would be spawned in front of you and they'd be moving extremely fast and then they would stop ahead of you in the map and you could try and strategically place yourself to catch the one that you saw and use it to your advantage whereas you might be able to spawn a random 
super boost, or you might spawn a random atomic snowball, or maybe, uh, like I had mentioned earlier in the episode, um, you could spawn a random set of power-ups that included a shield, and then you could catch that and save yourself from getting shot off of your sled in a certain part that you usually do. Um, if they were close enough to each other, I was able to manipulate the game, however, where you could, if you if you pixel perfectly executed it at certain times, and they were close enough together, granted also, you could hit two power-ups at the exact same time. And I definitely tried to do that as much as possible. But um, just like you said, um, the entire game in itself was X Games mode. It was it was pretty well done. They had lots of giant jumps, tricks, uh, scripted events that were actually pretty cool. And once again, in, in you know, midway fashion, they did a great job of executing an extremely arcadey game that just kept giving as you went. I, I enjoyed it. And I thought that um, the single player experience was pretty good. But in my opinion, the multiplayer racing experience in points mode or in race mode was actually better. And that's a testament to this game, honestly. Um, it is a great multiplayer game. Not so much a single player game unless you want to upgrade your rider and you don't have anybody to play with. But honestly, this game is much more fun if you have someone to play it with. So there's our X Games mode. All right. And now it's time to move into our next segment. Let's get X rated, where we rank the game based on our evaluation of 10 core gaming elements. Okay, I'm excited to hear about this one because we have recently decided to make a change to our scorecard etiquette. We no longer rate the games in front of each other or prior to the episode after our playthrough. So it's kind of a surprise to each of us. So um, who's going to go first today? I Since I went out last time, I think you should go this time. First. Okay. okay, that works, that works. I'll go first this time. My scorecard for this game I gave this game a six for graphics. I believed that the graphics of this game were above average, but they weren't top tier. They they did a good job. They were a little bit labory on the Xbox. We did have moments where 60 frames or so was evident, and it did run smooth. Uh, so, yeah, a six was slightly above average, but not amazing. Difficulty, I gave it a seven. A 7 seemed fitting. It was a difficult game, but it wasn't impossible. Like we had said, you could unlock at least one character and max them out and beat the game with them. Albeit, it was a very tough task, you could still do it with just one character unlocked. So, with that, a 7 seemed fitting. AI, I gave a 4, and it might have been a little bit higher of a score than they actually deserved, because they were more scripted than they were skilled. As in scripted, they were, as we dove into the game a little bit deeper behind the scenes, we discovered that the AI was actually scripted to kind of just get a sudden unrealistic and unfair advantage in speed at certain points in the track to uh, be more competitive or something or rather like that. Might have been something that they used to uh, scam you out of your quarters in the arcade cabinets, but either way, it was still something in the game that kind of hampered the AI. I believe that the AI was more programmed than capable, and that's what made my score so low for AI. Single player experience, I gave it a six. It did seem kind of grindy. From first impression's sake, it 
didn't appeal very well, but after playing multiplayer, you get to turn your your perspective around a little bit. It's definitely much more fun in multiplayer than it is in single player. Multiplayer, I gave it a seven. It felt a little bit low to me, but it feels right at the same time, so I'm going to stick with it. Multiplayer is a seven. It is much more fun to play this game with another person than it is to play by yourself, but it still has an entertainment factor playing by yourself. Six is what I gave design. Design was pretty well-rounded. A lot of your stereotypical elements were placed into it. It was just a very themed game, and as much as it made it diverse, it kind of also made it bland. Um, The stereotypes were just kind of drawn out, and this is exactly what you would think they would be. They're kind of just stereotypes. So the design was also partially the theme, in my opinion, and there wasn't really much else beyond that. The tracks were pretty cool and diverse. I will give it that, Um, especially when we first unlocked Atlantis. Atlantis kind of had us awe-inspired and dumbstruck as we went down the track. We did not expect to go into a maelstrom to wind up in the lost city of Atlantis. It was very well done. Probably one of the funnest and coolest tracks in this whole game. That one was really a a good way to gauge this game's design. It was still fun. It didn't seem like there was any tracks that they kind of just gave up on and stopped designing the game on. They really did give it their all. But in the end, the battle arenas is where this game really dragged. It really disappointed and could have used a lot more polish and effort. The battle arenas were very plain, very open, and overall, with two people, boring. Um, so definitely not worth your time unless you have at least four people. And maybe if you have three people that are pretty well-matched in game skill, uh, I would give it a try. Probably wouldn't be too great unless you had four. Controls, I gave a five. Uh, there wasn't too many things you could do, but they were responsive, and I think that granted it a, a good enough score for middle ground. You had a you had a pretty decent layout, and they weren't glitchy or buggy, and they did what they were supposed to do. Features, got a five. There wasn't too many things that you could do with this game. You could either do points mode, races, or you could do battle arena, which was pretty bad. So it was a pretty generic layout. You had your set layout of your power-ups, and then you had your unlockable characters and levels. The tracks were pretty cool. They made up for a lot in this game, I think, and so did the characters with their quirky lines and their... Uh, the stereotypical renditions that they had. So uh, overall, this game had a pretty good layout of features, a pretty standard and somewhat substandard layout of features. Replayability. I gave this game a six. Totally deserved it. It is a very replayable game. It's one that I would definitely, at this point, now that I've experienced it for the first time and how fun it actually is in multiplayer, I would have no problem, no problem, um, as we do do game nights here and there with our friends over, suggest four-player mode in this game, hands down. This is definitely a game that's on the top of my list of party games that are actually pretty fun and don't require much skill to start with. You don't really have to be very skilled to be um, excited about this game and and get involved and and have fun. Um, With how much the lead can change with the power-ups being so powerful and so capable of knocking someone who's in first place out of the lead, you could easily trade between eighth and first place multiple times during any race. So yeah, this this game has a, a wide range of people that it could suit and definitely be hours of entertainment too. Lastly, soundtrack, I gave a zero. Soundtrack did not deserve anything from me, and I actually want my money back and I didn't pay anything for it. I got to the point to where the menu soundtrack was so repetitive that I timed it, and it was actually set on a 10 second exactly to the dot loop. 
the in-game soundtrack as well for each track it was it was drowned out by the action of the game completely lost to the wayside it did not end up having any kind of an effect on the gameplay it didn't get you involved in it didn't get you pumped up or hyped it just kind of faded off into the abyss and got lost and forgotten i i don't even remember any of the soundtrack except for the menu soundtrack because i spent so much time in the menu <laughs> so that is basically what we have and with that my final score is a 52 which results in a grade c all right what you think not bad not bad at all I think you'll be surprised to see what I rate of mine. I bet yours is higher than mine. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> All right, let's see what you got. Graphics. I gave this game a 4 out of 10. Ooh. I thought that the game had very blocky textures, especially for character writers and things like that. It wasn't terrible, but I, below average is basically how I looked at the graphics. Difficulty-wise... I put a 6 out of 10, and that's because this game had kind of wide range of options as far as difficulty. Selectable difficulty definitely gave you the option for the player, whether or not you wanted the experience to be mind-blowingly difficult, or whether or not you could just overpower the AI. Now, AI, I gave this game a 5. I thought the AI sort of... They were scripted, as you'd said, Excalibur, but at the same time, I felt like they offered a realistic challenge sometimes. Even though they got cheats applied to their personality, but I felt like it kind of it spiced up the gameplay. Now, as I said, it doesn't make the AI fantastic. I just think it brings an average level, so that's why I gave it 5. Single player, I gave it a 6 out of 10. I felt like this game had a fun single-player experience. You definitely could sit there alone and play the game, unlock everything, and just go on your way and have fun with it. But it definitely didn't have a crazy amount listed when you had to do everything in the grinding. A lot of the grinding is... <laughs> the grinding makes you grind your experience down. You gotta spice it up if you're gonna really make the game fun even though that that wasn't an issue just the fact that you had to play the game and figure out upgrading points through one mode was essentially the only way you were going to progress so for multiplayer i gave this game a six out of ten even though it has the ability to play great with multiplayer i think it still had lackluster experience in, in some areas like the battle arena and you couldn't earn medals in race mode when in multiplayer either. It was almost like the game prevented you from actually enjoying. You had people over playing points mode. That's really only the purpose multiplayer had. Battle Arena, it wasn't even really worth experience to want to really actually experience uh, that, you know, four player mode or whatever it was. Uh, I gave design a 6 out of 10 as well. Hey. Uh, yeah, this game had a good design set up. Some of the levels were unique and interesting, and even to you know the end, I was finding different paths and methods to completing a race that like made me 
it made me want to keep playing the game more. Yeah. So it, it offered good design, but at the same time, I think could have been more overall, especially with how they set up like the cheats and all that stuff. You know, it's just general stuff. So that's why I gave design a six. Uh, controls, I gave a five out of 10. This game, I feel like is a right in the middle type of game where you, uh, you basically had the control set up in such an arcade fashion that I think that this game couldn't have played any any better than it actually was set up. So wasn't like fantastic controls. This game had the most efficient way to do it. But at the same time, I think these set the standard. Features, I gave this game a 7 out of 10. Ranked it up a little bit. I thought this game had a lot of options in terms of a arcade title it was ported this way for a reason but i think it was important that they gave the players a lot of different abilities and modes to play with even though some of them weren't fully i guess developed in such a way to really make them really fun to play so i think it just more or less had a it was a game that had more potential than what was actually presented with. Replayability. It's its highest category. 8 out of 10. For some reason, it has some charm to it. It has a way of drawing you back to it. Even though you hate grinding it, and you hate playing some of the levels, but I think even to a degree, I still had a lot of fun, and I think that's why this game is really shining in this in this category. And I think it was well done. So thank you Midway. Yeah. Yeah, Midway and, is uh, definitely good at doing that kind of a thing where they they provide a game that gives you um gives you smiles per the mile. It's it's a great it's a great way that they design their games and they definitely have replayability all across the board. Yeah. And I'm not an arcade gamer either. So for me this really kind of brings me into a new light. Now, finally, we have the soundtrack. Yeah. And I gave this a 2 out of 10. Wow, that's generous. <laughs> and it is generous. I would probably, after hearing your 0, think, uh, now I'm not giving it a 0 or whatever, because for me, I think 0 should be reserved if it doesn't exist, period. If any slight. For at what least if, in my opinion. What about if it shouldn't exist because it was so bad? Uh, if it shouldn't exist, that's why I give it a one. Usually, that's why I give it a one. Okay, okay. It's so bad, it's terrible, but it exists nonetheless. All right, all right. I'll be Ebert, and you'll be Siskel. Then that's that's just the room. <laughs> the, those are the roles we're going to assume during the the play out of this show, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So soundtrack. The reason I gave it a two is because this game, even though the soundtrack had it was not obviously you can tell by the score, wasn't anywhere enjoyable it still had themes to it so the levels had a sort of uh kind of a fun arcadey sort of soundtrack to it but as excalibur mentioned there most of the time was drowned out from all the action a lot of stuff going on you're not really paying attention to this you heard it during quiet moments in the race when you were leading or in first place or trying to catch up in eighth it really kind of puts you in that spot of oh yeah you didn't really care about the soundtrack but it was there and it still provided some thematic so 
I'm I'm sure you're excited to hear how it finally tallied. Oh yeah. So the final score is a 55. Oh okay. Giving it a C grade. That's a that's a high C. Yep, it's a high C. I think I think this game earned its score very well. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I agree 100. Um, it did shine in replayability. I think I was a little bit overly critical about it, but at the same time, it's just uh, certain elements. Kind of, if if we played the whole game legitimately, would have definitely dragged it down. But um, knowing a couple of tips and tricks and doing research, it would it, it definitely improved the score. But going into this game raw. And without any info about um, maybe knocking out the the snowman, which I don't think was detailed in the manual or detailed in any way in the game. It was there's a lot of things in games in this generation that were left up to you finding out after playing hundreds of hours, if you cared to do so, or 20 years later, like now when you uh, got online and researched the game. You're gonna run into that a lot. Um, if we still have yet to have a game with a good soundtrack, I think uh, it's it's kind of disappointing. Soundtracks are very lacking in these release titles. We need to yeah. step up a little bit. Maybe the next game will be able to do something for us in that area. We don't know yet, but maybe it will. Okay, well, that is our ranking and our review. Um, where would we like to place this game in our final ranking? All right. Well, for me, this goes right to the tippy top of our four games total so far. This really? game, I think, better than 4x4 Evo 2. Even though it got a slightly lower score, I think the re- replayability is what accelerates this game to me playing it more than 4x4 2. That's an exciting thing to see happen so soon. Just four games in has managed to top our chart in the overall ranking list with a lower score than the game that was previously holding the number one spot. The quality of the game may not be as good, but the game's playability factor is overall what was the triumph. So, and I actually agree with you, Soft Mike. Um, I think this game deserves 100% to be in the number one spot so far of the four games that we have reviewed. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good thing to happen, and I would definitely look forward to more upsets, I guess I can call them, like this happening in the future. Definitely, man, definitely. So, that is it for us today. We hope you guys enjoyed listening, and we hope that you tune in next week for when we review Cell Damage, uh, a very interesting title. Um, one of the ones that I remember seeing demos of in Sears when the original Xbox first came out, and uh, actually wanted, but never acquired as a kid. So um, definitely excited to dig into that one and see what it's made of. Anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed listening, and we thank you for listening as well. I am Excalibur. And I'm your co-host, Soft Mike. And we will see you in the next one. Hello, loyal listeners. Excalibur here. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a supporter by going to our Patreon and pledging a couple bucks. Not only does this grant you exclusive access to early episodes and other content only available to supporters, but you also get to know you're making a difference by helping keep the lights on so that we can keep providing excellent content for you. Also consider joining the OG Xbox modding community on Facebook, where you can find anything you may need or want from the most trustworthy and quality forward bunch of innovators keeping this amazing console alive to today. You can also become a part of the action 
by submitting a game for us to review via five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen. Also consider liking and sharing our social media. You can find us on Twitter via our Twitter handle, ThinkBoxPodcast, or on Facebook at Thinking Inside the Box. You can also write into us via email at thinkinginsidetheboxpodcast at outlook.com. Until the next time, thank you for listening, thank you for your patronage, and we will see you in the next one.